Hello, welcome to The Parent Panel, a weekly discussion of the news and events of the week with one mum and one dad. Today, we have a mum who likes to put other people's children to sleep and a dad who became famous for teaching maths on YouTube. Well, sometimes you catch yourself just being bossed around. You're going, wait, wait a second. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm not adult. <laughs> Neve one day took her nappy off and just rubbed it on the wall. Oh, wow. I kind of feel like parenting is a good antidote to my anal retentiveness. I think you're still in the trenches with your kids. I like the expression trenches. I sometimes call it the vortex. <laughs> the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Amy Taylor-Kabaz is our mum. She is the voice that lulls, lulls children to sleep on the Kindling Meditation series Bedtime Explorers. She has three children, two girls and a boy aged 11, 9 and 5. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you. And Eddie Wu is an author and maths whiz who came to fame through his channel Inspiring Kids to Love Maths. He also has three kids aged 11, 8 and 6. Hi, Eddie. Hi, Siobhan. Do you have uh, two girls and a boy as well? Or I have one girl and two boys. Ah, there you go. Thank you for evening it up. You're so welcome. <laughs> you did that very well. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give Debbie the credit for that. <laughs> uh, today, our topics are when is the right time to have a baby, what to look forward to once you've had it, and if you had oodles of cash, what would you get your kids? First up today, though, it's everywhere in the news. How are your kids responding to climate change? This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. How dare you? That is the insanely articulate, passionate and inspiring teenager, Greta Thun... It's either Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg or Greta Thunberg. I have absolutely no idea which one it is, but on Friday, children around the world went on strike for the environment. Many politicians and adults have added their voices to why children shouldn't, should or should not be striking for climate change. But I'm interested in what it looks like at a grassroots level, because my daughter's seven and at the moment it hasn't impacted her much. It hasn't impacted her world, her kids, her kids, her friends aren't talking about it. Amy, um, what's the conversation like in your family, your eldest being nine now? No, eldest no, is 11. 11, sorry. Nearly 12. Holy moly. So, <laughs> I know, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so last year of primary school, so very, very aware of it. She's also the environment captain this year at the school. It's actually been a really tough thing in our household. My daughter has quite intense anxiety. And one of the things that makes her very, very anxious is global warming. Uh, surprisingly. Not surprisingly in the sense of someone would be so worried about um, the, the state of the planet, but it is something that is on her mind a lot. Uh, it has come to light for all of us that she often falls asleep worrying about these things and really, really takes it on. So I have to say the beautiful Greta, however you pronounce her surname, my <laughs> daughter's also, name is also Greta, ah. so we're talking about the Swedish Greta, uh, has actually been a beautiful role model in our home since uh, she's come onto the scene for us. Before that, there was a lot of fear and a lot of um, frustration 
and just a lot of darkness, like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And now we can show her that these things are being changed, that people are having these conversations. So she has had a, a really positive and... Um, yeah, really positive reaction to it and has seen for herself that she might be able to do things a bit differently in her role as the environment captain at school and things like that. So before Greta came along, we had to be very careful with the information that she received about it, um, particularly making sure she understood almost downplaying it a bit, which it wasn't what we wanted to do, but she was so worried that... The, a sooner, like the waves would come up and swallow us in Sydney that my husband had to sit her down and say, look, let's have a look at the planet and let's see where we are and this is what we're actually talking about and this is what the actual um, rate is because our little ones, I've discovered, pick up the scary messages and think that that's going to happen to them tomorrow down the end of their street. Mm. So it's it's been huge in our house to try and balance this message of activism and we need to do something and also making her feel a bit safe. That's mm. so interesting. Eddie, has have there been conversations in your home about this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my daughter, uh, similar age to Greta, Mm -hmm. Greta here in Australia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that I, I think it's delightful. I'm thinking back to, uh, you know, there are a lot of repressed memories for a reason, but thinking back to myself <laughs> as an 11-year-old and just how much less of an awareness and a sense of responsibility there was. I mean, I still remember all these messages about, like, recycling was the big thing, that and wearing sunscreen. And it was kind of like, okay, this is what I can do. This is what's important to be conscious of, which was a whole different level to thinking about, okay, the whole world is kind of um, affected by these decisions that um, get made sometimes very distantly from us. Um, in fact, we all have this responsibility to make decisions at a sort of like a, at a country level that it's like, you know what, um, we have as individuals an ability to speak into that, not just have individual actions that hopefully will improve the environment, but to participate politically. And this is something which I think is wonderful in terms of young people being part of the democratic process and realizing, oh, what did 11-year-old me, number one, think I should do? Number two, even be aware of what I could do. And there's just such an increased level of that. I think that's wonderful. So as Amy points out, the anxiety that can come from this overload of information and, oh my goodness, I'm now conscious of, I mean, sorry, this is, this, I shouldn't laugh about this, but I keep up with, um, I like to keep up with US and UK politics partly to make myself feel better about Australian politics. <laughs> um, but there's kind of this awareness that we all have, even little kids have. They tell me about what they watch on behind the news. And I'm like, I watched BTN when I was at school, but it was so different. It wasn't about what was happening on a world scale, the geopolitical uh, issues that we're facing today. So I think it's great that they're now cognizant of that. But we do have to also let them be kids. It's so interesting, right. though, because that fact about a, a child hearing something disastrous and thinking it's going to happen to them tomorrow, I completely remember that being the case when I was a kid. And you just forget because some kids are so articulate that you forget that their little brains are still developing and still um, the thing that kind of comes out for me when you talk about, you know, what we're, what kids are being exposed to and is more so the sense of they're exposed to something, but then they're given no agency. That's right. So this idea that, um, just briefly touching on the strikes, that 
um, in a way, that's a good thing because it then gives back agency when we've taken it away. Mm. So you, when you're small and you look around and you think the world's going to pieces, these decisions are being made far away. I can't impact any of this. Then you go out with a sea of people who feel the same way and suddenly you're given hope. That's mm. right. I remember marching against the war in Iraq mm. and we knew it was a foregone conclusion. Nothing was, well, we didn't know that, but we kind of went out there. Your adult self now knows it was a <laughs> foregone conclusion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But at the time, being there was so hopeful because you got to look around and say, there are humans that care about this stuff. Mm. And I think that's what I've even seen in my daughter being the environment captain for her tiny little Catholic primary school in inner West Sydney. You know, she had to do a poster and a presentation to be voted as that captain and came up with her own little ideas to help. And that alone makes a difference. Even just talking to them about, you know, we use the drought as a excuse to get our children out of the shower. <laughs> Smart moves there, Amy. It, it well can played. work in our favour. So we do say, think of the farmers, turn the shower off. So <laughs> we do just bring in these little examples throughout the day of things that we can do. Um, there's a fantastic documentary, 2040, mm. that also is really great at this, at, at balancing that, oh, my God, we are doomed there is no future for our planet and our children with some really amazing answers that we already have and how we can fix this. So things oh, like I that have been really yeah. amazing. I think that's key. I actually got to meet um, the the people behind mm. uh, that. I was Damon, recently at Byron Writers yes. Festival. Yeah, and I think one of the genius moves that they did was when we have these, you know, tip, like sci-fi, picture the future, and it's so kind of... That's not real. We could never do something like that. You know, culture and society would have to go through this, you know, seismic shift for something like that to emerge. But I think what characterizes 2040 is, no, 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 that, these are ideas we know now. They're already existing. It's about, can we all adopt them? And that's why it's, there's an accessibility and a hope about it that's um, different. It's in reach. Yeah. Mm. And I think the children are the future. Oh, thank you for so, that, Siobhan. I know. <laughs> Just had to get a little bit of Whitney out there. Because it's true. Anyway, I'll stop singing. Up next, deciding the right time to have a baby. It's baby time. I'm not ready yet. Eugene here. Your eggs are done. What about my career? Whoa. Oh, God. <laughs> This week, author Cleo Wade started a discussion online about when is the right time to have a baby. Basically, she announced her pregnancy and a follower asked her why she would choose to start a family at the peak of her career. Cleo responded by saying that there are many other things that you should be thinking about, like uh, supporting working parents, gender workplace equity, uh, all those sorts of things that play into whether a child will impact on a career path, on her particular career path or not. But of course, having children will always involve sacrifice, as do every choice we make in life, basically. Not every career is compatible with children, and sometimes they come along at the most inopportune times. Eddie, when you guys decided to have your first baby, did it have any impact on your life or your partner's wife? Life? <laughs> your partner's wife, which would be very weird. Thankfully, my partner has no wife. Um, <laughs> she has a husband. Uh, for me, it's... As you pointed out, you know, every decision, think about, you know, opportunity cost, right? Everything that you do, um, you're forgoing the opportunity to do something else. I love that he's bringing maths in. I (laughs) relatively, I was relatively young uh, when we had our first child. And yeah, it's just objectively true. I remember um, a friend of mine from church, he said, children, they all have the spiritual gift 
of not caring anything about your needs and uh, as a consequence, you know, uh, one of the things he said to me was you change, that change from um, being childless to having a child is so much more, and I choose the word very kindly, uh, carefully, it's so much more violent than any other change you've ever been through. Not, you know, not working to full-time work, not single to married, uh, even like not from one kid to two kids or anything like that, from zero to one, it just turns your life upside down. Um, And you had, it's just like people say, um, nothing, (laughs) it's like the matrix, right? No one can be told what parenting is. (laughs) None of the advice will actually really help you grapple with the reality of it. So undoubtedly um, had huge impacts on us. Um, I mean, I... (laughs) Had this is either um, an ingenious work of family planning or um, yeah just pure uh, accident. Pure, you know, it's the, I like to say the line between bravery and stupidity is success, right? It's like, did, did it work? That was brave. Well done. Did it not work? What an idiot, you know. Um, I my daughter, my who's the oldest, was born in my first year of full time work and that was tough. But I kind of wonder. I mean, you know, going to this point of like at the peak of your career and that kind of thing. To be a really great parent, which I think we all want to be, if you're going to do that, it's necessarily going to have this flow-on effect. I don't know if there's ever a, a right time. You know, whenever, it's like, were you doing nothing with your life before that? Okay, in that case, <laughs> please, that's a perfect time to be a parent. Who is like that? I don't know anyone who is. So, of course, yeah, definitely had a huge and um, violent impact on the way that we, we functioned. But yep. I kind of feel like that situation normal. Yeah. What, did, what about you, Amy? Oh my goodness! No, all only one of my three children were planned. So um, this whole <laughs> idea of the perfect opportunity and perfect planning—we never got that memo. Uh, these conversations make me angry. I have to say, I've worked with uh, four and a half thousand women have um, gone through my programs about early motherhood now, and this idea that there is a perfect time, I think, is really toxic. It implies that it can be planned and that if you uh, if you plan it well enough it won't have that violent effect on disrupting your life and it puts this ownership back on being perfect and getting it right and if you don't get it right then there's something wrong with you so uh, I think her response was brilliant that this is a conversation about no matter when you do it it's going to need so much support and understanding and change and a pit crew of teams around you and they're the things that we need to talk about. Of course there's better times but also the other thing we're implying is that uh, parenthood happens when you want it to and what about the women and men who try for years and years at the perfect time and it doesn't happen. So I think that it's a such a loaded assumption of parenthood that, as you can hear, makes me really angry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's such an interesting discussion because you react in different ways. So for me, it was slightly triggering because I had my babies when I was still a contract worker um, at a certain place where Amy and I both used to work. But um, basically, I kept waiting to be a full-time employee employee so I would be entitled to maternity leave and I got to the point you know I had basically I had excuses why not to have kids I said okay we're we're uh, going to go overseas we're going to invest in a property Uh, I'm going to have full-time work and we'd done all the other things and full-time work just wasn't going to happen and I just looked at my husband and I was like it's no point in waiting like this is 
we just have to do it. And, you know, there was never going to be another decision. But being a contract worker and having two babies as a contract wor- worker was so stressful. Um, I really feel for people that are in that situation because we have such a huge casual workforce now. Exactly. And so it's funny because that's what it gets for you. And for mm-hmm. me, I'm like, and all those people who have no secure employment, mm. it's tough. And it assumes that... Yeah, it's only a responsible thing to do to have a child at the time where it works for everyone involved. And, that, <laughs> and you've just, also got to be the right age, remember. Exactly, and the right income status and you're close to parents and you've got this and a da 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 And it's, the shopping list of perfectionism goes on and on. And what if, and here's the other side of it, what if you do do it at the perfect time? You do line up all those ducks. You're like, we're going to have a baby when we're married, we have a house, we've paid off our mortgage, I've got that job and I did this and I did that. And then you finally have that baby and guess what? It's still disruptive. Mm-hmm. Then you've got another cycle of depression. It just, it just makes me mad. Mm. Very good conversation there. <laughs> we got to the heart of that. Oh, just to change pace a little bit. Sure. Uh, Courtney, Courtney Kardashian <laughs> has revealed her kids' playhouse to the world. And as you'd expect, it's rather lush. So what would you buy for your kids if money was no object? That's next on The Parent Panel. I have been talking about building a kids' playhouse since Mason was super young. I'm obsessed with all things Disney. So these are my assistant got me for my birthday. Um, Minnie and Mickey, I think their coach made these. I think just having it be like a really warm and cozy vibe with like the sheepskin rug and this couch is cozy. Just to have a space to really come out here, relax if you just want to need a break from everyone inside. (laughs) That's Kourtney Kardashian. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, Courtney. It was funny. <laughs> the, the phrase, my assistant got me this for my birthday, it just says it all. It <laughs> yeah. just says it all. That's right. That's and what I, we needed to hear. You she also said something about the Disney characters being made by their coach. No, like, no, coach no? the brand. Oh, because I'm like, so, what coach? She has coaches for her kids now? What the? No, no, coach as in like Chanel. Oh. Coach made the Disney Mickey and Minnie. Right. Are they ex- an expensive brand? Yeah. Of course they are. It's the Kardashians. Well, anyway, for some reason, architect. Digest wanted to do an open door series on this um, this playhouse, and yeah, it was pretty flash, kind of impressive. Amy, if you had oodles of cash, what would you buy your kids? Not that, (laughs) not that. I have to say though, I saw the comments underneath, totally dissing her layout and whatever, and that kids wouldn't play in that. My daughters would go crazy in that. They'd never move back into the house. So maybe that's what the incentive is there. Because it is the size <laughs> of a of tiny genius. house. Stroke yeah, of genius. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would I do? I, I thought about this and the only thing that I can think of is travel. Yeah, I thought you might It would be that. the experiences. I would just, I'd school them in the world. Yeah. I would just go My girlfriend's and go just and go. gone for seven weeks backpacking around Asia with her two kids who are, I think, now 10 and 8. Mm. And I've been watching all her posts on Facebook going, how do you, this is amazing. How do you do this? Yes, but see, what I like about the Kardashian version of this story is that the backpacking for seven weeks would include every few days mummy going to a really high-end hotel <laughs> and getting a massage so I can That's cope in the with the kids for, sure. for seven weeks <laughs> through Asia. they backpack, though, they'd yeah. have like an entourage. No, I'd still backpack, but I would oh, right. have a little, you little know, there'd be little stopovers. Little, mm. little stopovers. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd backpack and make sure I flew first class there and yeah. back. <laughs> That's, that is, but experience. Great. It's it's 
kids travel. Yeah. I, I would just make sure they see the world. Yeah. What about you, Eddie? This is so interesting to me. I mean, just coming back, sorry, to the Kardashians, right? Like, I've got this, just like you, Amy, before, I had this visceral response. I just spent a week, a better part of a week, working in regional South Australia. So, like, three, three and a half hours uh, east of Adelaide. And it's sort of, uh, you know, South Australia, it drops off pretty fast from the city, of course. Um, and in some, um, yeah, some regional, rural and remote areas. And what kids are, are going through there and, and, and you know, businesses closing and, and going through tough times, the drought, etc. It's kind of like, hmm, okay, resist, <laughs> resist urge to, to throw a cup against the wall. Um, I was delighted listening to Amy's answer because I love it and also am just kind of noticing how much I would love to give that answer and can't. So <laughs> I'll give you the reason why, right? So when I, when I was growing up, uh, my dad has always been a traveler. He's loved to see the world. My mum, not so much. Like getting putting together the list for packing a suitcase is her idea of anxiety. Um, so we <laughs> we never really went anywhere as young kids, and I didn't I didn't feel like I was missing out in any way. Um, I think they felt like we did all our travel coming to this country, and now we're here. We're not going to go somewhere else. Um, now I over the last two years probably um, have traveled more than the rest of my life put together, and that idea of um, broadening horizons um, is it's something pretty special. There's nothing quite like going to a place and seeing it with your own eyes and absorbing the smell of it and the sound. Um, my kids, however, um, they've got a variety of food allergies. So travel is not impossible. I guess if I did it that way, I'd, I'd also bring the chef with me and all that. Yeah, so that would right. be, you know. This is Kardashian. Um, right, right. Go. We're going no, no, <laughs> no expense spared, right? However, I'm going to go completely different tack. Um, my kids, um, they all love to read, which is delightful for me because that was kind of my... Um, that was my haven growing up, um, getting into a good book, just the universe that opened out to you. Uh, and I just love the creativity that comes out of that. My, my kids, my older two, they love writing their own stories. So here's what I'd love. Um, I've seen, I've seen online, there are these masterclasses of like, you know, screenwriter, actor, whatever I'd get for them, like the ultimate writer's workshop because they bring their stories oh, to wow. me and yeah, I'd be kind of like, be yeah, cool. I mean, I, I, I guess it's okay. Like they would go right down the rabbit hole if they had access to like, uh, you know, a Leanne Moriarty sort of like, oh, yes. let me show you my stories and workshop. They would just go bananas and then they'd never come home, I think. Yes. Oh my God. You could have a room, just if we're fantasizing here, you could have like a library room. You know, those rooms that are floor to ceiling books? Yes. Because we don't, we never have space for books anymore. And I much prefer reading a hardcover book to anything on my iPad. You could have one of those houses that have a uh, a ladder. I've always wanted mm. the ladder. Oh my God. So amazing. I just rent out the state library. I'm like, oh, guys, yes. guys, I need this space. And, um, fly, and fly J.K. Rowling in for right, a place. Yes. Oh. yes, yes, exactly. Okay, well, uh, I we fixed it. I think we should do this everywhere. <laughs> Done. Fantasize about what you would do. I love it. What would I buy? I think I'd buy a house. That's where I'm at at the moment. Mm-hmm. I want a little home with a little backyard. And when we moved in, Hope No, my kids don't listen to this, so I can say it. There would be a puppy waiting for my daughter and a kitten waiting for my son that obviously the kitten and the puppy would get along. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'd do, I reckon. Amazing. Just Beautiful. a little one. I'm not talking, although her house on that video did look pretty impressive. Yeah. For fantasizing. Maybe I'd have a house like hers. Yeah. Go oh, bigger. Hey, let's Go pull, bigger. Let's pull in your pool. I don't want it to be too big. Oh, but then I wouldn't have to clean it. <laughs> wow. Wow. So much fun fantasizing. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, lots and lots of money. All right, our final topic in just a moment, what new parents have to look forward to. Parenting, they say, takes a village. It's about experimenting and finding out what works best for your child. You don't learn when you're scared. So all those strategies under the guise of discipline, they're counterproductive. Feed Play Love is the bite-sized parenting podcast that's a village in your pocket. Short interviews with experts and real parents about everything from managing tantrums to making sure you get regular date nights. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Feed Play Love. I think we know how to be parents. I got the answer. Just never go to sleep. I'll never be comfortable again. I'll never have sex again. I'll never be ambitious again. Come on, honey, don't be upset. We still have so much to look forward to. Any parent awaiting the birth of their first child gets told lots of things, mostly about how they will never sleep again. And sometimes we're so keen to warn new parents of what's to come, we forget to tell them about the good stuff too. I have a friend who's about to give birth, and I sent her this article that one of our writers at Babyology wrote, Lana Hallows, about what parents can look forward to. And she wrote back to me and she was like, oh, thank you. I'm so sick of people telling me how crap it's going to be. Eddie, what are all the good things you would tell a parent to be about what's to come? Oh, wow. The list is kind of endless. I know that um, my uh, extended family, uh, it's, there, are, there are lots of babies in my extended family, but on, on my side of the family, I'm the youngest son of the youngest son. So all of the families were kind of grown up. So I didn't grow up around little kids, babies. So when my daughter was born... I remember being there in the hospital and I'd just gaze at her at this perfect little, I was kind of like, you, you didn't exist nine months ago. (laughs) And now you're just, and I I just hold her. And she was so ethereally light. My babies were all very small and it was just kind of like I'd spend hours just sort of looking at her and thinking, I can't believe you're real. I can't believe, um, like, I'm so looking forward to getting to know who you are and your personality. And it kind of is still happening. Like, my my youngest, he's in kindy at the moment, and I've been sort of gradually being sad that the voice that I've gotten to know over the last four or five years, it's gradually changing, and it's, it's, it's part of the whole system. But I'm like... <gasps> I have the cute preschool kindy voice for a little bit longer. And, and the cheeks. Yes. Uh, it's it's gorgeous. It really does. Well, the days are long, but the years are short. So for me, um, getting to know who they are and wondering, you know, my, my, uh, my older son and my daughter, um, they have personalities that are, sorry, let me start that again. My daughter and my youngest son, they have personalities that fairly closely match my wife and I. The middle one, it's kind of like, where did you come from? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand where, like, do, do we need to get some genetic testing done or something like that? And I just love that clearly so much of them is who we are, but then they come as their own person and discovering that is, it's unbelievable. Mm, beautiful. There is something about those cheeks too. I have oh. my youngest is in kindy and I can't stop kissing those cheeks. No. Because you know they're going. And I think because he's a boy, I'm like, one day they will stubble here. <laughs> and these are the softest little pillows I have ever touched. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they are beautiful. So what would you say, Amy? Um, I feel like the thing that's surprising me the most at the moment that I'm really enjoying is the company that they are. 
you know, we have Friday night movies and we get out all the ones that we used to watch, like Home Alone and those things. And my youngest will go to sleep because he's still quite little. So he'll be asleep. And so it's just the two eldest at the moment. And we'll sit there and laugh and tell stories. And they're like, this sounds so corny, they're like my best friends. They are so much fun. They never get tired of me telling my stories about what it was like when I was younger. They're really interested. Oh, mummy, what happened with your first boyfriend? Like all of these really cool, fun times. We play you know for hours on holidays. We're just starting to have fun. And I know that I'm in this window where everyone has said to me, this this is the golden time, mm. where they're old enough to have these really great conversations with you and hang out with you and go to movies with you and do all of these great things. And then pretty soon the hormones will kick in and they won't ever want to see you for, again, for another <laughs> 10 years. So I'm, again, I'm hanging on to this because I know that my eldest starts high school next year and it will begin to change. I think we've still got a few more years, but I remember my mum saying, my dad travelled, uh, he was a homicide detective, so he was never home. Um, so it was just my sister, my mum and myself. And I remember my mum saying when we were growing up, you two are my best friends. And me, and I thought to myself, oh, that's so sad. Gee, <laughs> <laughs> is this what I have to look forward to? Yeah. <laughs> mum, you really need to get some friends. And not that my children are my best friends by any means, but I know what she means now because it was that age she said that to me as well. Because my dad wasn't there and it was just the three of us. It was just this tight little hanging out at home, having these great conversations. The times of them needing you to do everything. Finally, leave. Finally, <laughs> 12 years of <laughs> wiping bums has finally come to an end. And uh, it's fun. Mm, it's fun. I mean, and I didn't, re- I didn't expect as much fun as this. Yes. I love, like, I think... In addition, like with, but separately to fun, like kids are funny. Like I laugh out loud and like, I I love sometimes, um, you know, one of my kids, he's particularly, uh, he comes up with his own jokes and he, he, he'll, you can see the grin on his face. He's like, I just thought of a funny thing. And it's not like he's gone past the reading, you know, Weirdo or Roald Dahl or whatever. He's like gone past just derivative humor. He has his own sense of humor and I find it genuinely funny. And he's so pleased and proud of himself. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is as long precious. as he's it's funny, the best, isn't it? It's the worst thing though is when they tell jokes and they're not funny. <laughs> That's what <laughs> my makes daughter's it funny. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how long they go for. Uh, true, true. I remember my sister saying to me once um, when I was pregnant and I was really scared of labor. And she said, you know what? I know, actually, I think it was the second time. I was still scared of labor because then I knew what it was like. Um, (laughs) And she said to me, you know, but you know this time what's at the end of this. You know the gift. You know the surprise. You know that little miracle that you'll hold in your arms. And nobody talks like that to pregnant women. Like, I almost feel like the conversation about parenting has flipped. I'm, I'm happy for us to be real about it, happy for us to talk about how it can be hard. But it's almost like... You can't be proud of being a parent unless you are an atypical type, a perfect parent who makes organic food and everything is perfect. And so people have 
forgotten to enjoy the experience, to love being a parent or a mother without any kind of cliche attached to it. Like it's actually an experience that we can all love. But these conversations, starting with when they're pregnant, when women are pregnant, it just keeps going. It'd be Mm. nice if we could shift it back a bit, yeah? Yeah, back to the joy. One Mm. of my favourite things is um, sometimes, you know, social media – not a perfect place by any means, but one of my favorite things in it is uh, there's like this kind of way people say me and then also me. And there's that willingness to embrace. It's like, yeah, I'm not the perfect, like, here is the uh, the modern family and everything is going well. It's like, no, no, you know, occasionally things are actually on fire, but also um, <laughs> it's wonderful. And I'm like in the literal sense of the word, it's full of wonder and joy and like, I can't believe I get to do this. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Beautiful. What a lovely place to end the conversation, yes. but I won't completely end it because before we leave, I do like to talk about what my guests are doing because we have such talented people on the show. Amy, I know that you've had um, a recent release for Bedtime Explorers. Do you want to tell us about that or have you got other projects happening at the moment? Yes, so the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs, which was uh, um, inspired by my son, uh, is out. I can't remember when it came out, a couple of months ago yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is doing really well. And so that's fantastic. I still pinch myself that children, I get so many beautiful messages from mums and dads saying, thank you, you've saved bedtime. So that's a gift. And I have a new book coming out at the end of the year called <gasps> Mama Rising. Oh. Which is part of my uh, passion that I voiced earlier about changing the way that we value motherhood and how we support women and stopping this crazy perfection. You know, if if you do something right, if you're just more organized, if you just get up earlier, if you just lose the weight, if you just earn some more money, if you just do this, if you just do that, (sighs) you will be a good mother. So uh, that comes out. First week of December. Oh, we'll have to get you back for that. Yes, just please. to talk about that. And yes, Eddie, please. you have a new book out now too, don't you? I do. So the last time I was here was about a year ago. And um, I wrote a book um, which, as a high school teacher, I sort of aimed at high school kids and above. And you know, it took me a couple of years to write. Almost killed me because I was full-time teaching at the same time. Uh, but one of the most lovely things that happened as the book came out was lots of parents and you know they would bring along their fairly young child and say so how old does my kid have to be before they can read your book and I'd say (laughs) I'd look at them and I'd sort of match their height against my waist and I'm like older than that so (laughs) so after a whole year really delighted that we kind of have this kids activity version of that book it's inspired by all the same ideas mathematics is everywhere it's beautiful it's something which can be enjoyed by people if we're willing to be playful and notice where it is around us so just came out this week and really delighted for people to already have responded to it so positively like you said it's it's an incredible thing to put a piece of work out there like you do amy and it's kind of like oh you 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 hit send and then you hope that somewhere out there um people enjoy that it's very different from like being in an auditorium you see that response but it's still happening nonetheless and it's so nice when people write in or say hi and say thank you Oh, brilliant. Well, we'll put links to both the meditation, uh, Bedtime Explorers, to the book, and then we'll get Amy back when your book is out. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. Thank you. Thanks, Siobhan. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a babyology podcast, hosted and written by Siobhan Hunt, produced and edited by Debbie Ning. For more information on the show or to check out other episodes with equally funny and insightful guests, you can find all you need at our website, babyology.com.au slash parent panel.